Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. At Frost Collective, we are dedicated to designing a better world. Our specialist teams work across branding, strategy, place visioning and wayfinding, solving problems with empathy and creativity to design experiences that benefit people, business and the planet. And as a proud certified B Corp, we meet the highest environmental and social standards by balancing profit with our purpose to design a better world. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with the brilliant London-based Bill Amber, the legendary leather craftsman behind the iconic rocket bag and much more. Tune in as we chat about his childhood in the leather capital of England, Northampton, and growing his passion into internationally acclaimed studio and design sustainable leather works that will last for generations. Hey, Bill, welcome to Design Your Life. How are you doing? Very good and really nice to see you. And um, yeah, how's the evening there? Uh, yeah, you're in London. It's morning there. It's uh, 8 p.m. here in the evening in Sydney. First day of autumn, um, but it's been 32 degrees, which has been beautiful. So nature hasn't realized it yet. But yeah, it's it's we've had a spectacular summer and um, it's still going strong. But it's really cool to connect with you. Huge fan of of what you do and what you've been doing over the years. And um, I was in London in um, uh, November. And I was fortunate enough to call by your uh, your workshops um, in London and and pick up this beautiful bag. I, I use it every I day. Same, I have the same bag. Oh, I have it exactly is, the same bag. Look, it is the best bag in the world. Oh, hey, yours is more red. Is it more redder? I have the same That's bag. Beautiful. I love it. Well, you're really plugging your own bag. I'm plugging your bag, but it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's you know when you have something when you when you when you save up for something <laughs> like that um and make a decision to choose something and you just every time you see it touch it hold it wear it it just gives you joy i mean that is what i i love i love about what you do i think that's i but i think that's actually down to the material i think that's one of the great things about leather yeah. That you, that it's, it's very hard to say that about many materials, but it's one of those materials that re I know it can sound so cheesy and you hear it all the time and blah, 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 but it is one of the materials that just gets better the more you use it. And yeah. it's, and it's, that's why I still love it. Yeah. And I guess that's how it was designed in nature too. We met a while back. Um, and I can't remember if you remembered me or not, probably not, but you, I remember you riding a, a Norton with a sidecar around um, Notting Hill. And, That's right. um, and you had a workshop near us in uh, Needham Road in um, near Portobello, Westbourne exactly. Grove. And yeah. you, you, I remember you, when I was a pentagram, when I was a young kid there, uh, in the early 90s, I remember um, you coming in and talking to John Rushworth, who was the youngest associate at the time, uh, who's now the most senior partner in the business, funny enough. Um, and I was working with him as an assistant, and he was you were working with him on um, on hotels that he was branding, et cetera, in terms of the menus, I think, is what you're working on, things like that, which is really, really cool. Yeah, I, I, I had a long association with Pentagram. I, I, I really admire their work, and, um, and John in particular, I think, is an amazing man. And um, Daniel Weiss, we used to work for a lot. We used to do That's a lot right. of projects with them. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it's an amazing company, isn't it? Yeah. We're not gonna, we're not going to plug it too much because we don't want to have more work going to them. We want to get the work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're one of the most highly regarded leather designers in the world, which is again a real privilege to talk to you uh today and um in this really nice kind of casual way. Um and you 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 kind of taking your craft beyond bags to and beyond folders and things like that to a whole array of 
uh, uses um, in architecture, in a whole, ra- whole bunch of cars, a whole bunch of things, which is really, really exciting to see how you've evolved. Just talk about where, how it all started for you. You were um, first exposed to art leather work as a kid in Northampton, you talked about before. Can you expand on that, kind of your childhood and, and your influences there? Well, um, this is the kind of 1970s, and the um, Northampton was still quite a strong leather town then. Um, it's, it's the town that has all of the great English shoe companies in it, and it still does to a degree. But Churches, Trickers, Crockett and Jones, Edward Green, Genies, they're all there, and they were all there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there were a lot more factories there when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, my mother, who was an architect, and my dad had an engineering business in Northampton doing lifts and escalators, so he, it was also to do with architecture as well. Yeah. Um, she would encourage me to play with stuff and um, she would get leather scraps from Northampton Market, bring them home, give them to me, and I would make hideous bags and wallets for my sister and my mother and badly made belts for my father. And But it kind of, you know, like all of those things, you play with something enough, you start to get good at it and you start mm. to get interested in it and it becomes something that goes into your, you know, canon of skills yeah what age was that was that just from a really young kid yeah pretty young i guess kind of you know around my early teens um mm-hmm. you know when i was you know needed needed some distraction i guess i mean my dad always had a workshop at home and my grandfather had a workshop at home yeah um so they were always somebody was always making something and and my mum was all had a big drawing board old-fashioned drawing board and was she would she would draw it up and dad would make it, basically. Wow. And I'm sure he'd go, I think he's got something, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if her name's Martha, but perhaps it is. Um, but it's the kind of craft, it's the craft that in a way today, in today's world, people are kind of other, it's kind of phasing out, isn't it, with technologies kind of taking over and it's kind of coming back again, but. It's really, I mean, in the UK and to a degree in Europe, but certainly in the UK, um, making is becoming really strong again. Yeah. I mean, the growth of, um, you know, multi-studio buildings in and around London, in in Manchester, in Birmingham, Bristol, Glastonbury, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, all the places that I know, Plymouth, um, these buildings that have got multi-studios in full of young people making stuff is really growing. And leather is a is a very good and easy way into designing and making things. It's a very benign material to work. You can relatively easily and relatively quickly make something that you can sell. Mm. Um, so you know, kind of, you know, and that's the that's the first baby steps in 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 terms of making a business and making a career and a living. Mm. And had had it gone. Since you started, had it kind of gone in and out of fashion or has it always been gradually kind of growing? Well, I think when we started, well, when I started, it was not in fashion as such. And of course, don't forget then in through the 80s, no brands, no fashion brands had their own accessories divisions. They all bought in accessories. So, you know, for the first 10 years of my career, I was... You know, I was making accessories for brands to sell in their shops before they got round to either putting their own label on them or designing them for themselves. That's interesting because um, it's also around the perfume as well. There's the, I mean, every brand now has perfume, but they didn't back then unless they were like Chanel or something. Let's talk about um, – I was kind of pleased, semi-pleased when you said you flunked school and you left home straight after <laughs> to go to work on an oil rig. Um, yeah. What was that like? Let's talk about because were you kind of as bad as I was academically? Yeah, I think I probably was. I, I haven't looked at your school report, Vince, but I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it made me depressed for a long time and held me back until I realized it wasn't. Um, you learn through life uh, yeah. far greater things. Yeah, and I, I was very lucky. My parents weren't judgmental at all. They just sort of thought, "Oh, you'll be all right. You know, just keep going, and you'll be fine." 
But um, I did obviously need money straight after school. And um, back then in the in the late 70s, um, the English oil boom the North, in the North Sea was going crazy. Mm. And um, you could go and get a job up there and, and earn lots and lots of money, which I did. But it was good fun. I mean, it was it was good fun. It was interesting, exciting, dangerous, and you know, got got well paid. So, what's not to like yeah. about that? When you're it's a bit, it's a bit like when I, yeah, when I was at high school in Canada, a lot of the guys would go to the lumber mills, um, mm. and they get like two hundred dollars an hour or something ridiculous. Mm. Way back then, mm. um, I guess because it's such a dangerous and hard hard job. Um, and it's really cool. I, I thought it was really cool that you ended up in Australia or New Zealand first. Um, and um, talk about that, how you ended up over here. That was a real surprise to hear that. Yeah, that, well, that was always my plan, actually, um, hence the requirement for so much money. But my plan was to travel. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and so I worked on the oil rig until I got enough money. So I think I bid nine months on, nine months off. But I reckoned I'd got enough cash to get going. Mm-hmm. And um, New Zealand seemed like the opposite end of the world to England. So I started there. Mm-hmm. And spent some time there. Did a little bit of leather work as I was traveling around. Made a few um, sandals and shoes in Queenstown, I think, in the South Island. And that was fun. Wow. And then I came over to Australia and, um, you know, began my hitching trek around Australia. But mm-hmm. I, would, I definitely did a little bit more leather work as I was going around. And um, ended up in Adelaide having sort of hitched mm-hmm. down through the middle and, um, you know, through Ayers Rock and all that stuff. Yeah. And then um, ended up in Adelaide and managed to find, um, through my cousin, actually, who was a, uh, a tutor at Canberra Art School, but came from Adelaide originally. She put me in touch with somebody called Gay Wilson, mm-hmm. who worked at the Jam Factory in Adelaide. And um, that was amazing absolutely amazing i mean she well, the, got me yeah the, that's um like a multi-studio place isn't it Jump it is three. absolutely yeah and i believe it's still going and, and yeah um, it is it, it was really it was fascinating and interesting and completely opened my eyes to designing things and making things and the potential of it all and the people there i met and um the encouragement i got and then mm-hmm. i did an apprenticeship effectively with gay yeah. wilson and uh, mm-hmm. she taught me she was pretty rigorous about technique and, and um, the technical side of the material, but she also really, really encouraged me to, once you've got the kind of toolbox ready, just to expand the possibilities of the material and, and really push it. Mm. And so she ended, and I ended up making, <laughs> of all things, leather jewelry. And, yeah. um, but, you know, hey, at the time it was. Let's face it, it was whenever it was, 1981, 82. Yeah. You know, new romantic and all that stuff, anything could work. Yeah, I mean, it must have been such a contrast from Northampton to Adelaide. Yeah, it was. It was, but it was, um, you know, it it, it was fascinating and fun, and I met great people and had an amazing time. I was there for a year, pretty much, 10, 10, 11 months. And were they still kind of... Uh, teaching and learn, you know, learning kind of European or UK craftsmanship, or had they kind of Australianized it? It was well. It obviously then there was still quite an active um, um, horse. You know, horses were still used on the cattle stations, mm-hmm. so there was still a requirement for um, stock whips and saddlery, and so that was the kind of bedrock of everything. But mm-hmm. Gay's, Gay's um, day job, if you like, which is what I learned on, was making bespoke jockey's boots and also um, making belts and wallets, hand-stitching belts and hand-stitching wallets. Mm. So they, that was my kind of training ground. But occasionally somebody would come in and commission a bag or somebody would commission, a, I don't know, some other bits and pieces and we, and we would make them. And, How cool was um, that? Was that? Yeah, it was, so you, did, it was. You, just, you just you just walked into that. I just walked into it. I was so lucky, and it and it's literally been my absolute passion ever since. I still yeah. completely love it. I make a lot of stuff myself at home. I still have a very nice, you know, 
workshop studio at home and I still make a lot of stuff just for fun. How did how did your business Bill Ambrook Studio come about? Um, well, that's interesting. I would say a kind of you know a very much an organic based business. I returned to England in I, I went off to Southeast Asia after Australia. Oh wow! And did some more traveling around up there, and then I came mm-hmm. back to England and set up in 1984. Um, in a again in a shared studio space down in Rotherhithe in southeast London, down near Tabridge, beyond Tabridge, mm-hmm. um, in a tiny um, little workshop. Um, borrowed or bought lots of equipment from the old shoe factories in Northampton, and sort of set myself up, and then just started to make bags. I realised that leather jewellery was never going to be a. <laughs> <laughs> useful yeah. thing to to do um but um yeah i mean it's, it's strangely somebody said to me hey you should go to this great uh, shop this new shop that's opened it's really cool in floral street go to this shop it's called ah, paul yeah. smith yeah so i um so i went up to um floral street with my with my bags and i said i'd like to meet mr smith please and they said yeah sure you can meet mr smith so i um had a meeting with Paul, and um, this is like 1985, I guess. Yeah, and that's um, his first showed, shop, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a cool shop. Still, still, well, still there. is, still is. And I showed him mm. my um briefcases, and he loved them and just said, Yeah, we'll have those. And literally, <laughs> from, from that day on, I was making bags for Paul Smith's shops, um, wow. and did that for probably 10 years. And then the same, I then went to St. Joseph. I had I had the same sort of conversation with Joseph um, and then Donna Karen and Romeo Gili and I don't know who else. Did you do different designs for each one or it's the same? Uh, Yeah, similar but not the same. I I definitely wore my own style. I started to really get a style of my own then. Yeah, and then I was very lucky as well. Rather weirdly, um, my dad saw an advert in one of the papers for a government-sponsored course at the London Business School. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he said, why don't you apply for this? I said, don't be silly, Dad. You know, they're not going to take me. I've never been to – I haven't even got an O-level or an (laughs) A-level. They're not going (laughs) to (laughs) – but he said, no, try, try, you know, go on, have a go. So I did, and weirdly I got on the – I got on this course at the London Business School, and that that was like 1989, I think. Mm-hmm. But it was absolutely fantastic. It it completely changed the way I thought about my business. It gave me the possibility of a career. It kind mm. of defined my way of working and um, really helped me massively, massively. It's interesting that, isn't it, when you don't do so well academically, and, and the same thing for me. You find, but then you go, you find art school and you find your kind of craft or the thing that you're into. And you don't do it because you want to be in business. You do it because you love what you're making. You're like mm-hmm. a technician. And then later down the track, when you start your own business, you kind of see the need or the relevance of business. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if you don't learn that, it's quite a pretty hamstrung, aren't you? If you um, don't know about business, don't know how to run a business. It's not, and it's not easy. You, you'd be the same. It's like it takes years to kind of perfect it. Although you can never perfect it, it kind of is. It's constantly. I find it hard work, <laughs> but but uh, enjoyable, enjoyable. Yeah, but you, you're the same in that you you know you've built now a very successful business and you've got a team of people that you know. So you, you it, it is a mixture, isn't it, between creativity and and drive, but uh, and yeah. having a kind of. A, a view on what the possibilities are for, for a business. And you know, it's a kind of responsibility as well in the end. You have to accept it all, don't you? Yeah. No, I, I, I personally love it. It's exciting. But it's cool that you you discover that too um, by chance. Because if you hadn't have gotten to that course, I wonder what, how your life would have um, you know planned out after that. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. I mean, I think it's, it gave me the framework to understand I mean it's it's funny I think and I see it a lot now because I'm very involved in trying to build careers for young makers here in the mm-hmm. UK mm-hmm. Um, both in leatherwork but and in other you know other making skills and I see it a lot people 
and I definitely suffered from that myself in that people feel that, you know, I'm special, what I do is special, normal rules don't apply to me, mm. you know, the way I structure my business is different. And, and actually what the business school taught me is that that's just simply not true. You know, it doesn't matter whether you are, you know, ICI or Bill Amberg Studio, the same set of rules apply, the same framework applies. And once you get to know that framework, then a lot of things become a lot easier. Yeah. Sort of really fight is. Is, is never really going to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And I've been through that same situation where you kind of try to do things differently just to be different, I guess. Um, yeah. And then you realize that the, the very simple, basic kind of principles of business are applicable and, yeah. and relevant and effective. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really cool, kind of, um, we talked earlier about the fact that um, you mentioned Paul Smith. I uh, heard on the news this morning that he's just been asked to create uh, a massive Picasso exhibition of over 200 pieces. Um, you heard that too, right? Hey, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I heard him on the radio yesterday morning. And um, yeah, I just love his enthusiasm for everything and the way he just takes on board an unbelievable challenge like that. I mean, that's, you know, that's a massive deal, isn't it? And be given carte blanche by, you know, to look at every single piece of work that Picasso's yeah. done and, and pick out things that he thinks are cool and interesting and then and then show it in such a different way. You know, I think it's going to be yeah. an amazing show. I, I'm really looking forward to going to see that. I wonder if he's going to feature stripes and things. <laughs> if like stripe so. frames. Yeah. Well, I think that's really cool because it's, a, it's like another creative's perspective on it and perhaps it'll make it more relatable or maybe because he works so much in the physical space, you know, environments that how he would arrange the, the works would be really intriguing. Yeah. I think that's like, yeah, I think I was interested because he was quite in like, like he sounded quite shocked on the radio that he got the gig. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. uh, so uh, I, I could definitely feel for him, but he was, he was, what I love about creative people like yourself, just that optimism, you know, I'd give it a yeah. go, you know, like, yeah, yeah I have, a, you know, I don't know why they asked me, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, well, let's roll with it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> probably because of the PR he's already getting because um, they're even discussing that. Um, let's talk about sustainability because people naturally think, I mean, certainly people will think naturally that leather is not a sustainable product. Um, and tell us a bit about that because it is, right? And, and t tell us kind of the background of that and your, your view on um, the situation there. Yeah, I, th I think it's interesting. It goes back to your last question about uh, has leather been in and out of fashion and is making it, uh, fashionable or, or, or a thing that things people want to do. I mean, it, it back then it wasn't, and it started to become so. Then leather, you know, the it bag came along, and leather working became massively important. Mm -hmm. And then about, I guess, about five years ago, maybe a little bit more, you started to see people wanting to use alternative materials to leather. Mm -hmm. um, veganism started to grow and become popular as a um, you know, a lifestyle. Um, and that started to reflect on leather work and leather working and the use of leather as a material. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very interesting. It's become now, and I think, you know, let's face it, the leather industry as a whole um, was very slow to respond. You know, it, it was very kind of, it just sat around on its hands and didn't say much. But I mm -hmm. think now people are realizing within the industry that the, the truth needs to be told. And I think that the uh, people makers are realizing the potential of the material in terms of what it can be. And I think when they understand the situation about where leather comes from, what its potentials are and how it fits into the sustainability kind of circus, if you like, then it does make a lot more sense. I mean, it is, uh, it is, it's completely repairable. Um, mm. It's re it's um, it's um, it's it's second life is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's durability is extraordinary. 
um, and it comes from the food industry as a byproduct. And those kind of principal um, things really set it aside. I think the circular economy is becoming more and more imperative. People are beginning to understand that, you know, you need to be able to reuse something. You need to be able to repurpose something. You need to be able to repair something. And mm -hmm. leather does that. And the alternatives simply don't have that um, ability yet. I mean, you, you know, mm -hmm. we started this conversation talking about old bags and how lovely an old bag is. Well, mm -hmm. you know, that is because the material itself is durable and strong and repairable and improves mm -hmm. with age, not degrades with age. Yeah. Um, the alternatives, there, there are things now called vegan leathers, yeah. which are... Um, firstly, a misnomer. There is no such thing as a vegan leather. Leather le that they are what we would consider to be, or what in fact are um, non-woven textiles. So mm -hmm. they're effectively a felt made from uh, plant fabrics, plant fibres, mm -hmm. um, and then they are covered with PVC or plastic. So the two most popular are apple leather and pineapple leather. Apple leather is 60% plastic and pineapple leather is 40% plastic. Yeah, well, so people don't know that. Which bit of that is leather and which bit of that is renewable, vegan, recyclable? I mean, you know, it takes 450 years for plastic to degrade in the mm -hmm. soil. Yeah. Um, the most mechanically produced piece of leather takes about four years. You know, you, a piece of vegetable tanned... Um, uh, material with no pigments on it at all will take a matter of months in the ground to degrade. Wow. And and you can then grow a plant on the top of it. So it's it's okay. a kind of, it's a nonsense, I'm afraid. And, and you know, you, one can argue absolutely rightly, I think, that we eat too much meat and mm -hmm. that the industrialization of meat production is gross and obscene. I totally agree with you. Um, but by the same token, you know, pasture-fed cattle are an essential part of the ecosystem. Um, and the projects like NEP uh, in the south of England here in Sussex, where they've rewilded um, the estate, mm -hmm. the, the data they're beginning to get back from that. Ken Hill is a new one that's opened up in Norfolk. And the data, that the scientific data they're getting back about what um, animal dung and animal trampling and animal plant moving um, does to the environment in terms of the, the flora and fauna is astonishing. You know, because don't forget, one cow moves 2,500 seeds around a, around, a, around a property every day. So they move that they move two and a half thousand seeds live on their body and they take them around, they, they transport them around. Jesus, crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it really is crazy. I mean, it really is shocking to hear about that. Um, the apple leather and the is this pineapple leather? Um, yeah. there's a whole bunch of them and palm leather. Um, just to hear that there's that much plastic in it. I mean, it's really people are buying into that, yeah, not knowing that fact, which we need to be raise awareness around. I'm obsessed with. Classic cars, and when I saw that E-Type Jag, the Helm E-Type Jag, um, and I've seen the leather work you've done on the interior, my God, that's beautiful. Um, how'd you had that come about? Um, well, yeah, I, I, I think it came from, I mean, like lots of people actually, not I say lots of people, I've done a, probably two or three cars in the past for private um, individuals, um, and then various brands have approached us about doing um leather interiors for cars, but I never sensed that it was, you know, done with any degree of passion in a way. Mm, mm. Um, but when um, Che from Helm Cars came along and told me about what he was planning to do with the E-Type Jag, I thought, mm. oh, wow, that is really cool. I mean, it was like, it's not, it's not, it is still an E-Type Jag. It's not mm. a, it's not a crazy um, remodeling of a, an E-Type Jag that's basically got a body shell on the top of a modern car. Yeah. It's still an E-Type Jag, but it's just yeah. been re-engineered 
to probably to to imagine what it could have should have been in its original format. Yeah, um, it's a very very. I mean, Helm make a beautiful car, absolutely. We're only making twenty series one only E Type Jags. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we've got. One is going to Perth at the moment, and we're just working on one that's going wow. to go up to the Gold Coast. Wow. So there's going to be one? two helms in Australia. What car do have, you drive, Vince? Have, have, have you, you driven one? Have you Yeah, I, I've always had classic cars. Back in London, I had a 280SE, um, beautiful silver one, um, Mercedes, and, um, and now I have a I got a Porsche. I hate, I hate saying the word Porsche, but um, because it's one of the earlier ones, it's a three five six B. It's just such a beautiful. It's more of the design that I love. Oh, it's not no, the brand really, as such, no. but but it's um, it's yeah, so simple and so beautiful, and uh, they're, it's just so different to, to modern day cars. Um, but Very yeah, that's that, that gives me a lot of pleasure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what I was going to say too around other other works that you've done. Let's talk about more about how your you've been kind of commissioned to do works with leather in architecture. Yeah. So I guess, um, I mean, that's really the kind of evolution of the business in a way. Um, I mean, I have to say that nothing in my business has been planned or strategized or (laughs) formatted or whatever the word is. It's all been a fairly loose, um, arrangement. Um, but I guess, um, like in the late '90s, early 2000s, um, as all the brands out there who were basically my clients started to develop their own own leather lines of accessories, um, mm-hmm. my um, my market, which was largely Japanese by then, I, I did a lot of work in Japan. We had a shop in in New York. Um, we supplied a lot of shops in in Japan. Um, mm-hmm. but even in Japan, you know, it was started to drift into away from independence and into department stores. I became less enamored with, you know, department store culture and, and the, the way the fashion industry was working at that stage, which was very much, you know, new designs had to be produced every then four times a year. Um, yeah, and I was trying to make bags that lasted people you know, their lifetime. I was trying to make bags that yeah, they weren't, they weren't that seasonal, your grandsons, kind of... your grandchildren would find in the attic, you know? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's what I was trying to make. And um, it became Timeless. less and less popular and less and less viable. But I think because of my, um, my parents being so involved in architecture, I was very interested in architecture. Mm-hmm. And it was always a kind of inspiration in terms of my design thinking. Um, mm-hmm. And so quite early on, in fact, I started to work on architectural projects. I think I did my first leather floor in 1986 in London. Um, And then I started to work a lot with people like Ron Arad, um, Mm -hmm. groups like NATO, Pentagram, as you so rightly say. Um, But these architectural projects started to come in like one a year, two a year, three a year, and, and just steadily it grew. And by about... Uh, by about 2000, it was bigger than the accessories business. Mm. Um, and then in about two, about, where are we now, 22, I guess about around 2010, something like that, I just decided to park the accessories business and really focus on architecture. It was it was a bigger business anyway. It was much more interesting. Um, the, mm. the The opportunities in terms of, where it could take me seemed to be more um, varied, and, um, and 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 I was very lucky, I think, to move away from the accessories, fashion, retailing, and get into mm-hmm. um, you know full time into into architecture. And now it, we're a studio with nine full time staff, six part time staff. Um, mm-hmm. We have a big big workshop here in London, and yeah. um, we do architectural installations. Um, all over the world um, and then we do furniture um, and then product design for you know brands and and all sorts of people but the architecture you know when I talk about architectural it's like 
wall, you know, big walls, floors, handrails, big fitted desks, you know, lots of stuff mm. in America, in Europe. Um, you know, we've done some stuff in Tokyo. It's it's really interesting and 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 fascinating. Just different people, different projects. It's cool. I guess they're just they're the, each one is a one-off commission, is it? Yeah, I mean that that's I guess you know it, it, that's what makes it very exciting. But I think it makes mm. it challenging as a business because obviously you're only as really as good as your last job. But um, yeah. you know it, it certainly keeps it. It keeps it as a very interesting business, and it and it, everybody loves it. I think, you know, and and it's and and we spend a lot of time on development and pushing the material and finding new yeah. ways to evolve it, and then introducing those to our architectural, our architects and designers that we work with. And that and that brings huge variety as well. And I think that you know that's important. We have these experimental days here where we um, everybody gets involved. So everybody in the office, everybody in the workshop, anybody that's hanging around, they can all get stuck in. Mm. And so we'll have an idea around one possibility, and then everybody mm -hmm. plays for a day. Wow, that's cool. And that kind of throws up some quite cool stuff. Yeah, that's um, neat. So out of that, I think we've done something called Stack, um, which is a way of using up our waste leather. Um, mm -hmm. We've developed a light, but on a braiding, we all, we all got into braiding for a day, which mm -hmm. is something I learned in Australia, funny enough. But um, oh, wow. we all got into braiding, and we ended up designing a light, a, a woven light, woven leather light. Oh, neat. Um, yeah, there's some. It's, and now we're developing casting leather in concrete, wow. which is something that I think would be quite interesting. And, and again, it's something that architects are looking at. That's our most recent development. And I think, you know, again, it's one of those things that somebody will jump on. Yeah. What's the most challenging project you've worked on? The next one. <laughs> <laughs> it's yet to come. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we've done some great um, projects. We've done some great projects. Um, they all they all differ in terms of, um, you know, some are very complex, some are not complex, but you, you you know you're trying to find a specific leather, so you have to work with a tannery to develop a specific leather for something that looks ultimately quite simple, but the the work is all done on the material itself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of variety. I think that's the nature of bespoke work is that, you know, what, what you end up, I mean, you, you must see that. I mean, you ab absolutely must see that in terms of what you do quite often, I guess that your nicest work is, is the work where you, it just fits so beautifully and feels so perfect. Yeah. And, and the, the simplicity and the the detailing is so thought through that it just it just connects perfectly, and I think that's where you know that's what you're striving for. Yeah, that's exactly. Well, it's, it's interesting when when you look at that the bag that I bought from you, um, it's the it's kind of a lot of reduction looks like it's gone into that to make it really simple. Mm. But it's what's there, the detail that's there, that what makes it a Bill Amberg bag. It's, mm. it's that, it's that detail, no matter how small, that that it becomes unique. Like the, the how it fastens, for example, mm. um, is beautiful. We talked about uh, previously. You talked about kind of giving back to uh, young students, etc. Um, um, you're trustee of Cockpit Arms and the National Leather Collection. Um, along with having honorary doctorates from ULA, University of Northampton. I mean, incredible achievements. Um, can you talk about a bit about the Cockpit Arms, what that is? Uh, it's Cockpit Arts. No, Cockpit is, um, is, a, is, a, is, um, is two big studio buildings, uh, one in Holborn, one in Deptford in London. Oh, and yeah. um, there are over 140 um, designers and makers there. And um, it's... It's probably wow. the, one of the leading spokespeople for artists and makers in that field. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's a very, very interesting organization. And most importantly, I think it also has a um, business development, business incubation division within mm-hmm. the um, operation of the studio. So it does what you and I could have done with it at a much earlier stage, which is help you turn your oh, wow. making skills into a career and, and help yeah. you turn it into a uh, an income stream that's stable and strong and, and, and enables you to have a, have a life. Um, and I think that's where, that's what I find really important about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been a trustee. I've just got, I'm in my second term there now. So I'm up to about six years, I guess. Um, but it, mm-hmm. I find it very rewarding. It's very interesting. We're now building, we're now building in Deptford, um, but I've also set up here, I, I'm now working Park Royal, which is the last kind of industrial area of London. Um, and I've set up something called Park Royal Design District, again, mm. to promote designing and making for young people in the local area. It's not a particularly affluent area of London. Um, so we, uh, we, we put on events, we have workshops, we're involved. We, we turned it into an area for London Design Festival and London Craft oh, Week. Cool. And um, we really try and encourage young people in the area to understand the opportunities in making um, and, and really push it ahead. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so it's quite, you know, it's important for me, I think, that I'm, you know, I, I feel blessed, that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I feel blessed that I've, I've managed to turn my hobby into my career. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I think if I can hand on a little bit of that to other people who kind of are nervous about the possibility of 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 having a career in their passion, then I think that's job done, isn't it? That that that's a great thing. You're being very modest. I mean, they must be thrilled to get advice from you at that young age. Well, let's hope so. Who knows? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, is it cool to interact with the kind of this younger talent coming through? Oh yeah, I, I really like it, and and you know it's it's and and now leatherworking is becoming more and more popular amongst young people as being an access, a kind of gateway into making. Um, mm-hmm. It's really cool to see what people are doing with it, and you know, really pushing it along. There's there's an air, there's a, a group of. Um, designers here called blast studios in part royal Mm -hmm. and they are um making a porridge out of waste materials adding mycelium to the porridge and then putting it through a massive um rapid prototyping machine and um building structures out of it and we're doing work with them on grinding up our waste leather and making leather structures I mean, you know, it's... Oh, printing. Printing. 3D leather, printing? Yeah, yeah printing oh. printing waste leather with mushrooms in it. I mean, why not? It's cool. And no plastic, I hope. And no plastics. You know, keep the plastic. Keep the oil under the ground. It's where it belongs. So do you ever go to, do you ever go to the cockpit arms? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite jar? Um <laughs> I'm sure that happens at the end of the day there. Cockpit arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um now it's so cool to, to hear you say talk so passionately about what you're doing too. And 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 you know, great achievement is that um your stunning rocket bag um is in the permanent collection of the VNA in London and the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. I mean, what does that feel like? Yeah, it's I, it's you know, I'm glad that there are a few things out there that have been um <laughs> that people recognize as being um you know of value uh, and um you know i love it when we get people coming back with rocket bags that i mean it happened last month somebody turned up with a bag that was literally must have been one of the first series it must have been like 1990 wow and um they came in and we just um we buffed it up and uh polished the handles and gave it back to him and he was super happy and, wow. and we're still making the same bag now. It's a, it's a, it's it's, it's very nice and, and interesting. And uh, 
But it's kind of, you know, you, you're talking about cars and machines and stuff. I mean, that's also one of my passions. And, and I think that's how, that's what informed the design of that rocket bag. You know, I was very, I've mm. always had old motorbikes, as you've witnessed when I was riding around on my old yeah. Um But, yeah, yeah. you know, so all that casting and aluminium and stuff has always intrigued me. You're absolutely prolific. I mean, what, what is, what's driving you? I mean, he must have been like that from a very young age. Um, I think I'm, 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 I'm restless. I'm naturally restless. I'm naturally curious. Um, I, I'm, uh, I don't, I don't watch telly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Me neither. Yeah, I don't watch telly. So I kind of, and I think that's, you know, I'm always amazed by, you know, I'm not a great screen. I'm not big at watching my screen particularly. So I'm, I, I, I like. I like my workshop. I like making things. I, I was very influenced, actually, when I was in Japan. Um, I was very influenced by Sora Yanagi, um, mm. who was an amazing designer. And his dad set up the Minge Museum in Tokyo, which is the, um, the, 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 craft, the Japanese craft museum in Tokyo, which I recommend yep. anybody to go to. It's amazing. They're incredible. And, and he wrote a book called The Unknown Craftsman, among mm-hmm. many other books. But it was kind of a cool idea then for me that, you know, the, 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 how you get something into 3D as quickly as possible. And the actual mm-hmm. process of making something is part of the design process. Mm. And that, I think, is fundamental to how I set up the studio and how we still work now. Mm-hmm. You know, we listen to the craftspeople. You know, the designers design something, we give it to the workshop, the workshop, develop it, make it up. And then that process of making in, informs the designs. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's a very interesting, real way of design development. You know, I mean, I'm not afraid of technology. I love technology and we use it all the time. But I think we use it where it's appropriate. And I think it's quite important that young designers understand that. Yeah, I think you've traveled a lot too. And I guess that travels really influenced you big time. Yeah, I think definitely, definitely. I mean, certainly my trips to Japan were very formative. And then, you know, more recently Scandinavia, um, mm-hmm. which is where I come from anyway. So that was always nice to, I'm half, half Nordic. So it's quite yeah. nice to go up there and ah, cool. meet people. Um, let's ex- ex- explain what you said about um, not watching TV, because I don't watch TV. And, it, and it's, it's interesting. When people say that, it's like when I say to people, I don't drink. They're like, what? Really? Yeah. When you say you don't watch TV, they're, they're dumbfounded by it. Yeah. I mean, if I do watch it, I fall asleep within seconds. There's something about it I just feel like it's a waste of time. Yeah, I mean, too. I should be entertained or inspired by it, but I, don't, I just don't feel that. Yeah, that's very interesting. What, what, I'm the same. I just, I, I just don't get it particularly. I, I you know, <laughs> the idea of watching a box set, it just seems like an insane waste of time to me. Yeah, you know, there's so we many don't other have things much time. I'd rather be doing than um, watching a box set. So I, mm. I, you know, when the conversation veers into, um, into that, I, I just have to back away. Same with sport. I'm not a great. I'm not a great passionate sport person. I mean, I, I like it and I'm interested when it's, but I, you know, I don't, I don't watch a, a whole game of football or a game of rugby or something. It's like, we have I, a find, to be honest, I find it no. quite tense. I find, I find like um, the big matches, like the world cup makes me too tense and anxious. Stresses you out. Yeah. It stresses me out. It's like, whoa, no, that's too much. I don't I want to be involved. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm similar. I don't I don't know. My dad wasn't big into sports, so I think that influenced me to uh, not be. Um, but ha- funny enough, my 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 boys are uh, soccer fanatics. Um, but it is interesting going to see an Aussie rules. I don't know if you saw an Aussie rules game live here in Australia, but yes. that is pretty incredible. Yeah. Like I watched it on TV when I did watch TV. Um, but when you see it live, my God, it's such a complex and interesting, fascinating game to watch. Yeah. You really get swept away with that. Yeah. And it's a different experience altogether, isn't it? You know, anything live, it's the same with music. I mean, I love going to gigs. Oh, yeah. I love going to gigs. I just love it. 
I love going to see live bands. Yeah. And London's got lots life. of music all the time. Yep. Talking about time, um, next year you're going to be in business for 40 years. Oh, yeah. This is a, no. a very long time. So happy birthday for next year. Um, <laughs> me, it's 30 years next year, which is um, not far behind you. Uh, what, are you what are the plans for the studio for the future? Well, we've got some really interesting work coming up. Um, we're working on a big project with uh, a whiskey brand over here that's just about to launch that's been a very, very challenging and very exciting um, sort of design, development, manufacturing project um, mm -hmm. that's involved, you know, all our skills, which I really enjoy. I mean, I love the fact that we design and make. We don't just receive the designs yeah. from somebody. We're, we're involved in the design and the development, etc. Um, so yeah. that will launch. It'll be exciting. And I think that will create some waves in the in the drinks market that's very extreme if you like in terms of what's possible and i think it's going to really set a benchmark for the industry that's quite high and that okay, would be, cool. i'd be interested to see that um we've got some very interesting projects coming up in america um mm -hmm. some two big architectural installations over there um that will we they will kind of evolve over the course of the next 12 to 18 months and mm -hmm. install one in New York and, and um, one in Dallas. Um, and then individual pieces of furniture. We're getting some quite interesting commissions now for um, really quite... I love it when those commissions come in that are quite loose and require, yeah. you know, where we can do our... Well, what about concrete and leather? What about stack? What about these elements that are mm. really unusual and, and using them to to push things along. So yeah, th those, those I really enjoy because they, again, they, they involve everybody and everything. And, um, and I guess, That's you know, cool. we've got a ceramics project that I'm kicking around in my head that I'm really interested in doing. I don't know how or what that will, what shape that will be, but you know, le the leather for 400 years, le leather was the drinking vessel material. So jugs mm. and cups and tankards and what have you were all made of leather. And I think it's just an interesting idea about what, mm. how we can look at that, you know, how we could mix that with ceramics, how we could make that into a, it'll be a conceptual piece, but it'll be something that's interesting, I think. The that's net furniture that we've just done, I'm really, yeah, I'm proud of that. I think that was a really interesting job. It's It's the first project of its type i think where you can really take um you can go you can follow the heritage um uh, of the material right back to the land that it came from and so we we, we basically nep is this estate in in um, sussex that has rewilded and we took yeah. all of their cattle and their deer skins um last year and we tanned them here in the UK with a mm -hmm. vegetable tanning um, process, which is the oldest type of tanning. Um, mm -hmm. it's, in t it's really just tree bark and water, very simple, replacing mm -hmm. fat and protein with vegetable tannins. And um, we've designed the furniture from the leather and we've designed the furniture for their restaurant that opens in about three months time. So we, the wood, the wood comes from the estate is from all the ash dieback from the estate mm. and the leather comes from their cattle. And then that will become the furniture in their restaurant. And I think that, that conceptually is a very nice circular way of looking at product. And I think it's got lots of potential all around the world for, you know, different people who really are interested in the sustainability of materials, the practicality of materials, the durability of materials, mm. and trying to design a product that is long-lasting and has true, real authenticity. It's not, you know, we're not trying to make anything that is greenwash here. It's something that I think is no. really interesting. I mean, those are all absolute one-offs, aren't they? Well, the, the chairs aren't. You can buy the chairs now. 
you know, we, we, we got more leather. We took, there were more skins than we need for the restaurant. Um, and we've, we've, um, we're now selling the, selling the furniture. Um, it's available on our website and, um, you know, people can get in contact, but I think the idea is also has expansion possibilities, you know, if people want to come to us with projects or want to use that leather only to work on a project for, of their own, for their own space mm -hmm. or their own um, institutions or, or restaurants or whatever they are, then I think that's also interesting and, and should be encouraged. Well, I think people listening, hopefully they'll give you some commissions there. Um, how, how do you juggle your family uh, life? Because um, it sounds well, like you work, you work a lot because you love what you do. Yeah, I mean they they're very used to it. They they've they've they grew up in my shed at the bottom of the garden. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all pretty good at um I think they're pretty good at uh drawing and and uh and making and um they all have very you know they're old. They're like Luca. They they're all I guess in the same, you know, they're all they're all young professional women strong and independent. Well, Luca's not a woman. No, no but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but strong yeah. um yeah were you giving them chunks of leather to play with when they were kids yeah yeah and of course one go away and make well. something out of that yeah that's sweet um but no they they yeah they they are you know they're strong independent women and that's a great thing and and um they're all forging ahead with their own careers and and um living life which is great good to see Oh, that's cool. That's and cool. I have, I'm very to lucky to have an amazing stage. wife who I still love very much. And um, I think she still loves me, which is great too. Well, that's good. Should we get her in on the podcast just to double check that? <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee she, she, she won't be listening or will ever listen. Oh, really? <laughs> no way. She loves, you that, she loves you that much. Yeah, she loves me um, that much. But did you meet in Australia? No, no. No, we met... Um, we met at a sample sale in England. She then went on for an amazing career at Vogue and in fashion mm. magazines, and, and now she has an antiques business. Oh, cool. The World of Difference, which she's wow. set up about three years ago, having left um, Condé Nast after 25 years. Wow. That's cool that she's reinvented herself as well. Yeah, she's super happy, super well. And we live in the countryside, so we don't live in London anymore. So, Does she watch TV? Uh, she doesn't watch TV at all, no. <laughs> ah, okay. Perfect yeah. relationship there. Um, hey, Bill, I always ask my guests um, this question. Have you designed your life, do you think? Have I designed my life? I think um, my life has designed me, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. I've, just, yeah, yeah. I've just been followed. I've just followed the energy and the, um, you know, the ley lines as they've taken yeah. me, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky in that respect that um, I'm still doing something I'm passionate about and I, I probably will do until I'm dead, I guess. You know, probably die in my shed. <laughs> that's, a, that's either a good thing or a sad thing. But well, it's a good thing. I think, I it's, think it's a good thing. thing. It's a good you thing. Know, I, I think it's nice. I think I'm blessed to be doing something that I really enjoy. And, um, you know, I mix it in with all my other passions and, and they all interconnect mm. and intertwine and... Um, you know, cooking and gardening and reading and motorbikes and Amazing. old cars and they're they're all interconnected. Yeah. Would you be happy if if you happened like someone made a bag out of you? Like that's actually a Bill Amberg bag. <laughs> <laughs> that actually is that actually is Bill Amberg. I tell you what uh, I tell you what, Vince, I've got I bought the leather for my coffin already. Oh my and, god. And, and I'm and I'm gonna one of these days I was thinking it did come up in conversation the other day. The kids were ribbing me and saying, hey, Dad, when are you going to make the coffin? You're getting so old now. You, you better start thinking oh my about God. that it's too late. <laughs> what, are, you, are you stuck on what to do with it? <laughs> well, I've got it there. I've had it on the shelf for a bit. I need to get it down and have a look at it and start thinking about <laughs> my coffin. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that's funny. I did. I did have a moment when I was thinking about what font I'd use on my tombstone. Yeah, well, there you, you know, go. Like the, there you and go. Like, oh, I got no, no. no there you can't, go. Can't use Helvetica. There you go. Not Helvetica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're. But anyways, you're going to spend hours trying to work out exactly the layout, the size, of the, oh. exactly how it's going to look. I mean, it's going to look beautiful. Let's face it. 
It's going to be one of the most beautiful gravestones ever. Can you imagine? Yeah, well, I'll never see it, but can you imagine if it was an absolutely, like, I don't know, centered type or range right and left? I don't know, like a, a baby teeth font or something. I think my kids will do something like that, just something really crass. Um, turn over my grave, literally. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> well, there, On that note. I'm not sure how to end. I'm not sure how to end this now. <laughs> But Bill, it's it's been spectacular uh, talking with you today, and um, really amazing uh, career that you have and are having, and um, yeah, real pleasure to meet you. And and let's keep communicating, and let's yeah. work on how we collaborate together. Yeah, let's do, let's let's work on a project together. I'd love that. I'd love. That. Yeah, I'd love that too. All right, you take. All right, Bill. Thank you. See take you. care. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Your Life with the legendary leather craftsman, Bill Amber. Tune to the next episode where I catch up with my good mate, Troy Donovan, the internationally acclaimed facade designer. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, Please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.